Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast in episode number 21. My name is Damien Ross, and besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also the publisher of a digital nomad magazine called Rootless Living. Now, if you haven't already subscribed, you can grab a free, that's right, free digital subscription just by going to rootlessliving.com. On this episode, I chat with Jim and Renee, the duo behind Live, Work, Dream, and we really talk about not just that, but I mean, just so much. This episode covers a lot from being full-time traveler since 2007 to starting and running a business slash community on the road and to a really unique and interesting story of why they decided to go full-time. But before I get too far into it, let's just jump into the episode. All right. With that, I want to welcome Jim and Renee to the show. Jim and Renee, how are you guys doing? Great. Hey, fun. Fantastic. Thank you for having us. I'm excited to have you guys. And obviously, I might think, even though I'm trying to be careful about keeping stats on how long someone's been doing something, but I think you might be our longest full-time travelers with a, a launch date of 2007. Is that correct? Correct. It was June 2nd, 2007. That's awesome. Well, let's go back to before June 2nd. Let's go back to like June 1st and before. What were you guys doing? Where were you guys living? And uh, what made you think to get in an RV and travel the country? It was Renee's idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I'll admit. I'll take the blame for it. Um, You know, we had the typical default life. Um, Kind of. Well, no, let, let me back up a little bit. We met in San Francisco, did the city thing for a while. And when we started to, you know, just look at life a little more seriously. We said, well, let's buy a house because that's what you're supposed to do. And when we couldn't afford anything in San Francisco, even way back then, we said, let's look north. So we moved out to very rural, very um, isolated Humboldt County in Northern California. Well, this was 97. Way, way long ago. So we lived the default life. We had a house, we had a, a wonderful dog, we had great neighbors, and we had a business that we ran from home where most of our clients were long distance. They were mostly back in the Bay Area. We did um, marketing, communications, consulting, and design. Life was, life was going along just as we thought it should and everybody expected for two weirdos like us who moved to Humboldt. Um, but then our dog got really sick and everything changed. Yeah, we were basically working a remote life, um, although we had lots of overhead and printers and and graphics equipment. All of our business was out of the area. So we were working from home, but we had, you know, sticks and bricks home. And after, um, we were also very outdoorsy people, and we went on a long hike with our dog, Jerry, and he came back and yelped when he got out of the truck and hit the pavement. And that thing, that ended up being cancer in his leg. And the vet said, the, you know, this long story short, the amputation was necessary to kind of extend his quality of life. And after that, it was a matter of just, you know, giving Jerry the time we owed him for the past eight years, you know, he waited for us to finish work. And one day after work, Renee said, I have an idea. And she said, let's buy an RV. Let's uh, sell the business. Let's sell the home. Let's go travel with Jerry for a year. So we had literally just planned for a year off. She budgeted and we decided to take this sabbatical and tour the country in an RV um, to enjoy that remaining time together. And he ended up living two years. I love that the motivation was your dog. Like I really do. And I think sometimes people don't understand kind of the, the connections. I'm actually in a farm in, here in Texas and the gentleman that owns the property has five dogs. 
And um, they're all different. They all different personalities. They're definitely as kids. I definitely see that. It, it obviously, it kind of pushed your probably moving forward in something because you felt you had a limited amount of time. From the time of the idea, Renee, to launching June 2nd, 2007, how long of a time period did it take before you guys hit the road? Well, he was diagnosed uh, just before Thanksgiving. And so November. And, 2006. Yeah, 2006. And by June, we were on the road. And I'll... I'll let you know, though, I mean, we, we had been talking a little bit about selling the business and, and getting our things in order. So we had some things in place, but really when he got sick, I mean, it was, it was just full speed ahead. And we were very, very fortunate that we had a buyer in such a short amount of time. And, you know, it's not like we, uh, we made a killing off of it or anything, but it was enough to give us a year off and, um, weigh our options while we got to spend all of our day with Jerry. And he was really such a teacher the whole time that we had him that we, it, it took him getting sick for us to kind of wake up and, and shake ourselves out of this complacency of just living life day to day and not really seeing the big picture. Well, marketing was our business. We were always helping other people market their goods and wares and, and sell things. So when it came time to selling the business, we just kind of changed gears. And this was kind of before blogs were a big deal even. And we were listing the business for sale on websites. And Renee said, we need a, we need a blog. We should use a blog to sell this. And I dragged my feet. And then I had this idea. What well, We weren't selling a business. We were selling a lifestyle choice. We had this dream live work experience. We worked up downstairs, lived upstairs. So I, I registered the domain liveworkdream.com. And all of the first month or so of that blog is about our business and this wonderful lifestyle. And you could do this too. And that was used to get the word out and sell the business and attracted a buyer. And then after the sale went through, we just kind of kept that blog going on as our travel blog, the live work dream blog. Nice. It's actually a pretty decent business model. Even in 2020, I think Casey Neistat really, you know, obviously started blogging to help launch beam and then eventually sold it to CNN. So it's actually a really smart thing that you guys are doing, you know, again, almost 14 years ago. And it, it's funny to me, there's so many similarities. Your guys's timeline, very similar to ours, you know, it was towards the end of the year of 2016 and we left June 1st, 2017. Hmm. And it's, it's almost kind of the same time frame. And, and I'm hearing from people that have this lifestyle that the prep time isn't a lot. And again, I don't have the data, but I feel like the longer you prep for something, the less likely you'll do it because you just find kind of excuses. And obviously it moved really fast for you guys. So we are... Oh, I'm sorry. We are just totally nodding our heads in agreement. We see a lot of people stall out with the planning phase. You know, they, they think of way too many what ifs and they get hung up on those. And there's a fine line between too much planning and um, too little. On the other hand, you know, there's a lot of, you know, in the social media world nowadays, people ask, you know, oh, how do I go about doing this? And there's a lot of advice out there like, just do it. You know, just hit the road, just go do it, you'll figure it out. And there's a fine line there, somewhere in between over planning and just doing it, there's a smart amount of research. And the good thing is, research is easy nowadays because there's so many blogs and videos out there about how to do the nomadic lifestyle. And thanks to you too for actually yeah. starting an actual print magazine. So congratulations on that. I mean, the magazine, the cool. podcast, it's, it's long overdue and I, I wish you the best with it. I appreciate that a lot. I do find it interesting that 
you guys, you know, what you guys are saying is spot on. And I think people, you know, everyone's has a different sweet spot between very little planning and then a lot of planning. And I always try to bring some of kind of just my own experience. I've been a business like entrepreneur mindset forever. I noticed the projects I talked about the most were the ones that never happened. <laughs> because like I got so much energy out of talking about it and getting people excited that I kind of lost the energy and it kind of faded away. This project, I really kept quiet. Like nobody knew I was launching this magazine until November 1st of 2019, which you want a lot more wow. information out there, right? And then, you know, we went to print basically January 7th. I am amazed in a way. I always look back at not the olden days because we're talking 14 years ago, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? But it's kind of like, like, where were you guys finding information? Because to your point, there weren't a lot of people blogging. No one was doing videotapes or any kind of like, unless they were selling VHSs and mailing it to people. Nobody was really talking about this lifestyle. So you probably had to think in a way, we're inventing a new lifestyle that nobody knows about. But obviously, you know, people have been doing this, you know, 20, 30 years as well. Where were you guys getting your guys' information in, you know, in 2007? I know. It seems like a million years ago. And I'm sitting here laughing because Jim likes to use the phrase nowadays. And it's just, it seems like such an old timey thing to say. And that's our dog drinking water. I don't know if you can hear him, but he's slurping in the background. Um, anyhow, where were we getting information? There's these things out there that are made with paper and they're called books and <laughs> there yeah, were this, this there were a couple song. of great books out there one of them is no longer in print it's called it was called um six months off um how to budget and prepare for a six month sabbatical and then there was another book out there called live your road trip dream and that book is the one very first one i saw that actually had planning charts and to-do lists and everything to consider if you wanted to take time off to travel that was a fantastic book that got us started funny thing is the longer we've been on the road the more we have met people older than us if you can believe that who have been full-timing since their 30s and They've been out there this whole time. They just don't do blogs now because they're in their 60s and they don't do social media. But two really good friends of ours, they have been on the road since they were 38 and now they're 65. So this lifestyle has been around a while. I think it's just so much more exposed now and so much easier to get information on, which is fabulous because I love seeing all these people out there living different lifestyles. But if you ask me if I would still be on the road 13 years later doing what I'm doing remotely, I would have laughed. We were, you know, we were only planning for a year off. And I thought, okay, this would be great. We'll go land, we'll travel the country, find that next community, settle down, buy a business or start a new business somewhere else. We've done it once before and we can do it again. So I come back to the dog story because the same thing was true. There was really no information we were finding about cancer in dogs. We didn't even know dogs got cancer. There was no you know, community of support online. So we turned to YouTube. And that's where we saw a giant Great Dane digging up a gopher with one front leg. And we realized if that dog can do it, ours can too. And I come back to that because how we stayed on the road for 13 years was kind of finding our purpose and following our passion and focusing on developing a community to help people like us which we did at Tripods. That's the you know, largest online support community for amputee animals and their pets now. I find it interesting that you, like so many people, will put out a one-year calendar mark, which I actually think is pretty good and safe if you're going to do things like sell a home and you know, not put things in storage and you know, just say, hey, we're going to do this for a year. And obviously, I was the same thing. I was going to travel for a year. We're coming up on year three. But you also mm -hmm. found a really unique 
interesting niche. And I always love that. I feel like people feel like they have to get something that has, you know, a base of a billion people and you don't to have a thriving business. You really don't. And to take something that's a passion project and turn it into a business is remarkable. Now, I know you did say that the original dog that ended up with cancer has since passed away. You got two more years of traveling with him, but now it sounds like your dog that you have now is also three-legged. Oh yeah. Once you have a three-legged dog, all of those four-legged dogs just look really weird. Um, (laughs) So we ended up with another three-legger, only he's missing a rear leg, which is a totally different experience than our front leg amputee. And, um, we, he's taught us equally a uh, crazy amount of lessons, just, just as much as our first dog did. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, once we discovered that people actually needed help going through this process, just like we did, you know, we just found a, a, real, a real inspiration and a real purpose to get up in the morning, see who's been online in our forums, help them through recovery, help them when they had questions, and we're not vets, but we provide the emotional support that vets don't have the time for, unfortunately. And vets really love that about our community. So one of the biggest compliments we get is when vets refer clients to us. We, we love that. And it just makes us feel like we're making the world less scary for a small but important group of people. And so obviously you sold the business and you went on the road for a year. When did you guys kind of figure out and what was happening where you said, you know, we can still maintain our lifestyle by doing this. And I, I don't want to just assume that it was straight into live, work, dream. Maybe it was, or tripods. Was there something else you were doing after about a year where you said, nope, we want to stay, but this is the kind of work we'll be doing? Well, there is something we discovered and it's work camping. So, um, you know, Jerry was given a few months to live. By the time he hit the road, he was already at six months. After a year, we were starting to just kind of hemorrhage the funds that we had set aside and starting to eat into savings. So we discovered work camping. And for those who may not know, work camping is where you exchange your services and time somewhere that offers you a place to stay with your RV. There may or may not be pay, but we used it as a way to explore business ideas we might want to do when we quote unquote settle down. So we thought we'd start a farm someday. So our first work camping job uh, was on a, an organic farm. And we realized, well, we don't necessarily want to be farmers. We thought we'd start a rest, animal rescue. And that work camping job lasted a few weeks. Bless their hearts. They're very special people. But we worked at an, uh, a hot springs resort. We found a working ranch in Colorado where we work camped for almost nine years in a row. And those things helped us explore new places and save on rent while we developed the tripods community. So Jerry passed away and we had this blog that was sharing his story um, and people were emailing me questions about their pug or their Great Dane and I only had one type of German Shepherd dog missing a front leg. So I just installed discussion forums and that allowed people to talk to each other and that's when the site kind of took off. Next was a live chat room. And um, later on, I developed a network where we're now hosting 1,500 plus three-legged dog and cat blogs. Wow. Wait, so other, other people are blogging about their experiences and you guys are 
kind of like the central area where these people come. Oh yeah, uh, Jim, tell them the technical stuff. Yeah, so definitely WordPress, yeah. basically everyone knows like wordpress.com. I'm using the same software, WordPress multi-site network, where we're hosting free blogs for people to share their stories. So we have the main Tripods blog, which shares the news and the gear and the nutrition information and our video interviews with vets. But anyone can join and start a free blog to share their story. So what it's created is this vast amount of information with people sharing their own nutrition plans, their own, you know, a, a pug with mast cell cancer and what that dog ate. So when someone joins three years later, members are saying, oh, you got to go check out Maggie's blog. So they're all sharing their own stories and we're kind of facilitating that platform. Now this started to become expensive. And in 2014, we formed a nonprofit foundation to keep it all free. And now that foundation is even offering financial assistance programs to, you know, families in need with pets facing amputation. Yeah, because I would assume that, and it, you know, I'm a 70s, 80s kid. I feel like when you were growing up, if something was wrong with your dog, you kind of did the math. Is it more expensive to fix or to put down if it's more expensive to fix you put it down i mean that was kind of the reality i feel like growing up around people one day you'd it be was. like hey where's your dog it's like oh well he got the flu we had to put him down and now <laughs> people will really like fight for their animals oh, yeah. and oh, i yeah. could see this really being financially expensive for someone and to have to make that choice being really tough so what a great resource to come in and find out ways and things and probably even ask questions what does it cost because i wouldn't know until you went to a vet and talked to a vet even if it was necessary what about um adoptions now obviously you guys are when you were looking for a new dog you were looking i'm assuming you were looking for a three-legged dog you didn't buy a dog with four and just take one off for fix, right? <laughs> we don't encourage people to do that <clears throat> right right so what about adoption are people able to within your guys's network um showcase dogs that are available or not, not well like. yeah in a, in a small way um we are not a, a rescue obviously we live in an right. rv but right. we do help rescues get the word out so our discussion forums have a tripod rescue area where people can list pets uh, that are up for adoption and just yesterday we featured our uh, very first facebook live guest on our, our little facebook live tripod tuesday segment and we had a, a dog looking for a home on that segment so i think we're going to keep doing more of that just to get a little closer to the rescue movement um, while still being true to our mission, which is just to provide emotional support. And obviously, I know that you guys wrote a book, but I, I don't want to jump the gun on that because that actually came out in October of last year. But is this the the source of the, the income is between the two live, work, dream and tripods? Is that how you guys are making your income traveling now? You know, we do a lot of things. <laughs> um, nice. <laughs> when we started, um, we kind of thought that live work dream would be our main uh, way to earn a living. But the passion for us wasn't in the lifestyle as much as it was in the pets. Um, so we kind of, we, we still do that blog and we still monetize it and we still earn a little bit of, of revenue from that. But the majority of our income comes from, um, from tripods.com. We sell gear and helpful devices for pets who are going through amputation. Um, we have direct relationships with some vendors and others. It's just, you know, an Amazon storefront kind of thing. Um, I'm also a freelance writer, so that brings in income. I also make jewelry 
And um, Jim does marketing and uh, web design for a certain number of clients, not too many. And, you know, working out of an RV, we certainly can't stock inventory. So we've developed dropship relationships for with manufacturers for the harnesses and those type of things. But early on, we discovered the value of information products. And we started taking the vast amount of information we had at Tripods and developed our first few eBooks, which are kind of pet amputation handbooks and guides to help people through that people can download for fast answers if they don't want to spend time searching on the website. So you guys did end up writing a book and in 2019 you published it. It's called Be More Dog, Learning to Live Life in the Now, which I get and I love it just from the title. And it sounds like it it's going to bring in almost everything we've already talked about in a way. Am I right? Just why you guys did the lifestyle, the lifestyle itself, and then other interests? Or where would you really kind of put it in regards to talking about the book? What would you say about it? It is. you wrote it. <laughs> yeah. So it is the story of the big picture. And it took us 10 years to write. And our first draft was War and Peace. It was huge because we had so many stories to tell. But we worked with a good editor and we finally launched, you know, Be More Dog to share the lessons Jerry taught us and how we turned, how we discovered our purpose and, and found our passion and turned it into a way to support the nomadic lifestyle. So it's kind of, you know, Amazon ranked it number one new release in travel with pets and veterinary surgery. So it kind of, addresses those two things. Any full-time RVer or any animal lover will love it. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, was that the first book besides eBooks? Had you ever published a book before? The first printed book, yes. Yeah, nice. I uh, think quite a learning experience. Indeed. No, I bet. And I, everything you guys are saying too, I hope people are really picking up on the idea of having kind of multiple streams of income. Don't put yourself into one category, especially when you're on the road that you know, that a small number of people, because even, and even though 1,500, and I don't know necessarily how big your audience is, but even in small number of audiences, something under 10,000, you can have a huge impact. And there's a way to really build a business around it. And for some reason, again, I talked about people look for these things that they might think that everyone would want. And that's, that's not, you can't market to everyone, you know, and when you find these really great niches, you can do really well. And I love that I'm hearing that you're being selective with your uh, marketing and website accounts. I can understand that process too, for sure. Everybody wants a, a web designer and a, and a marketer. And sometimes those are difficult to work with for sure. So that, that's so true. And it was a few many years ago at this point now, um, we were on the road, but I was speaking at a blogging conference um, where pet bloggers got together to learn about monetization and things. And I was talking about developing community and how to monetize a website. And I told everyone in the room, you know, there's a niche for everyone. You're an expert about something. If I can do what I've done with tripods for pet amputation for three-legged dogs at that time, um, you can do it about anything. There's, there's always, an old boss always told me, there's always room for number two. Even if there's one out there that is you know, the best in its niche, there's always room for number two. But we're all experts about something. And whatever that passion is, there's a way to develop, monetize, and build community around it. And I just, I wanna add something to what he said. Um, when we started Tripods, it was we, we called it our labor of love. We, we weren't getting paid, and um, we still don't take any kind of salary from it. Um, Jim, uh, as the uh, chief administrator, CTO, and everything, all the above, he does take a very small stipend from the foundation. 
but it's nothing compared to the hours he puts into it. I had a real problem with making money from tripods in the first few years, and thus we weren't. Um, I did not want to make money from an audience that is already facing huge veterinary bills. I had a real problem with that until we met a business mentor who looked at us square in the face and said, you need to, you need to live, and if you can't support yourself, how are you going to help these other people? So stop looking at it as a bad thing to make money from that website. Here's what you need to do. And through her guidance, uh, we have managed to come this far with it and count it as one of our revenue streams. Um, so we're very grateful for that. So a real quick, interesting story about meeting that mentor. We were at that same blogging conference and we were at a happy hour and this woman was, was sitting alone and we talked and, and she was strictly business. And she says, so what's your business model? And we, you know, we both had been doing this thing and making a little bit of money and not wanting to charge people. And we kind of looked at each other and I said, well, we operate on the freemium business model, which is a thing. You know, we offer a lot of free services and you can pay a little bit to get some premium value added service. But it wasn't until that time that I realized that is what we were doing. So it's a, it's a great way to, you know, serve people and offer free services and still make money without, you know, hitting them over the head with marketing all the time. I'm actually really glad that someone did have a conversation with you guys and, and reminded you that it's okay. I know a lot of people battle with this, but I also look at your guys' timeline too of stuff and I might mess things up here, but it looks like we had a dog that in 2006, we found out had cancer. In 2007, we hit the road. Uh, we lose him a couple years later. It's not until 2014 that you create the foundation and it's not until 2019 that you actually write a book. And I think people a lot of times feel like when they you know, I'm going to buy a camera, I'm going to buy an RV, and I'm going to be an RV expert next week. <laughs> There's some time that goes into, and, and I, I really don't like use the term expert, because I don't know how many years I was living in a home, I never considered myself an expert homeowner, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and I don't know why we as RVers sometimes feel the need to do that. But there is a lot of history and a lot of experience and that we can share and talk about. But like you said, too, I actually really appreciate hearing Jim is that even if someone is out there and doing it and they're doing it big and better, it doesn't mean you can't bring your own special sauce to it. I get that right now I might be the only digital nomad magazine and someone else is going to come along and that's not going to scare me in any way, shape or form because they might have a different niche than me. And I think that's powerful. I think you guys are sharing things that people need to hear. It's okay too, if things go slow in a lot of ways too. I mean, 2006 to then writing a book in 2019, <laughs> obviously there's a lot in the middle. A lot of people are like, well, my dog had cancer for a year. I'm going to write a book on it. And I don't know, you know what I mean? Like maybe that'll come off what you experienced in my first year of dealing with this, possibly. But to come off as I've had all the answers to it, that's an interesting concept that I see a lot of people doing where they do it for a very short period of time, but they try to make it look like they have all the answers. I'm stoked on this, on this whole thing, like because I think it's just something that people need to be talking about is like everything you guys have said is find that middle ground, get out and launch, you know, maybe set a certain amount of time, a year, two years to do it, give yourself that, and then really look for kind of your niche and allow it to grow slowly, especially when it's a passion play. And don't beat yourself down if it's something like a, like a nonprofit organization, if you're making money from it, there's, that's not a bad thing in any way. I've never felt that way. I mean, if they, if it was illegal, yeah, but there's, you know what I mean? Like the whole point of a nonprofit, there is still somewhat of a, a salary stipend that comes along with the people that are running 
the actual organization. So, and you guys are putting in a ton of work. I mean, to what Renee said, you probably, are you making minimum wage with that job? You know what I mean? <laughs> Some days. Like, yeah, there you go. And it's like, people don't, they just don't get it. No, so, it's true. Um, what you're saying is true because people need to know these things can take time. And why it took so long for us is we put all sorts of irons in the fire and focused on the ones that stoked. And you know, when the tripods one got a little hot, we kind of focused our energies on that. So it's a matter of, you know, we learned early on that, you know, multiple revenue streams and passive income were the way to support our nomadic lifestyle. That's what was gonna work for us since we weren't, you know, working for anyone but ourselves. So by putting all those feelers out there and focusing on the ones that took off, you know, believe me, that's what worked. And there was, you know, 80% of them that fell through the cracks and, and never burnt. <laughs> right. And you said something right now, and I, because obviously it's something you're doing, I, I want to see if this makes sense. You say passive income. I think a lot of people hear that and they think, um, you know, I, all I have to do is put this up once and it's going to sell forever and I never have to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. My, right. And so my understanding is really real estate and probably stocks are the only real true passive incomes where you buy it and you just hope it grows. And when you sell it, you hope you've made money. But when you have things like, a, let's say even an ebook, there's a ton of work that goes into creating the ebook, and there's still a ton of work in marketing and getting the word out. Now, granted, you might be asleep at night and wake up in the morning at a bunch of ebooks sold. And the only term we really have is kind of passive income in a way, but I think people get really misled. They don't understand the amount of work that goes behind, you know, building something once and then being able to sell it for a long time, but there's still a lot of work into the actual selling and marketing of it. What's your guys' feedback in regards to some of the things that you have that you're, you know, the, referring to as passive income? I would totally agree with what you just said. Um, our first two ebooks were for tripods, and um, what they were was basically a snapshot of everything that was in our community, all the information condensed in, into a, a book format. Um, but there were a lot of links in there and things like that, and and we thought, okay, this is great, and we we published it in PDF form, put it on the website. It's not on Amazon. That's a whole other can of worms. But um, we put it out there. And within, I'd say, two to three years, we realized, wow, a lot of this information is already outdated. Um, it needs a revision. So there we go. And we're putting in more. It's, it's like a constant thing. So in the, I don't know how long ago did it come out? Maybe like six, seven years ago. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into keeping it current is what I, I want to say. And right now I'm working on the next revision of one book and we have two more queued up that need to be revised too. So it's not, it's not ever finished. And I think the term passive income is really misleading. So I'll go back to your real estate analogy and you could mess to that house and put some renters in it and forget about it and collect their rent. And if you let that go for 10 years without doing anything to that house, you're going to end up replacing carpets and putting walls on. So you need to maintain these things all along. Listeners should know that, you know, the passive part of it is great. I mean, when you automate the processes. So the passive part of the income for us is someone can go to my website, buy the book, get it delivered to them, have their product in their hands without me interacting with them at that time, even though I put hundreds of hours into it from the beginning. And then 
you have to go back and revisit these things and put a new roof more, on that house. More hundreds of hours into it. But it, it is great that, you know, by, by doing the self-publishing route, we are able to collect 100% of the revenues. So that is really nice. Without a doubt. I think we are living in, you know, really interesting times in the sense that so many middle people have been removed from the mm -hmm. equation. You know, I mean, I even look back at my earlier magazines and just what it took to launch a magazine. You know, no one would have, in 2000, well, 1996, when I did a skateboard magazine, there's no one downloading a magazine and right. reading right. on some sort of device, you know? So it's just interesting that all these kind of middle people have been taken out. Being able to get published is, you know, it's not easy, but it's not as difficult. You know, having your own websites and things of that, again, it's not, it's not easy, but it's not impossible. And I love that. I love everything you guys are talking about because there's some stuff written here in the bio I want to talk about. You did have some interesting over the last, even the last 10 years, you got brought into, uh, you know, a documentary series. You've been uh, on different kind of shows and programs and stuff like that. So how is that? Are people reaching out to you or is it something that you have to put together a press release and like get in touch with these people to be able to kind of help get the word out? In the past, it's always been um, just talking to people casually and, Oh, somebody actually referred us to, or referred the PBS people to us. So that was a good friend of ours whose dog also uh, went through amputation, told PBS about us. That's how we got on that show. But um, for the most part right now, it's us doing a lot of hard work to get the word out about Be More Dog. And it's actually Jim doing 99% of the work, um, our marketing guy, while I'm focused on bringing in the income for my writing work. So um so Renee was talking about um, uh, an episode of the PBS series called Nature, Why We Love Cats and Dogs. And that was word of mouth. It was from someone who was approached by PBS because what he was doing was fantastic. He was walking across the country with his dogs in memory of a dog that was no longer with him. And the producers wanted you know, people who still had their dog for some footage. And they met up with us and created a great episode about the bond people create with their animals and we were the crazy dog people. But I was also on um, why, uh, who let the dogs out was a Hallmark channel show. And that was through um, the comp blogging conference we went to, but I'll say it nowadays, um, <laughs> it's turning out that marketing a book is, you know, just as hard or harder than writing the book because no one's you know clamoring at our door. When we very first had the idea, it was during a time um, when dog books were all the rage and we were approached by an agent and when our story didn't, you know, wasn't obviously gonna be a number one seller, she dropped the ball and forgot about us. So that's why, you know, we went down that road and we said, forget it. And now we're self-publishing. So glad our... we're self-published too. I mean, from what authors tell us, even if you have a publishing contract in hand, the, you're still going to put tons of marketing work into it as an author. The, the publishing company will not do it for you. Unless you're a Grisham or somebody, the marketing is all on you. They will print and they will publish and they will get out there. And if it takes off, they might throw some marketing dollars at it, but otherwise it's, it's all up to us. Again, I've never published a book, so I don't know a lot about it, but I have seen so many people shift to self-publishing and somehow egos get in play too. Like, is it like I'm really publishing a book if I'm doing it myself? Yes, you are. I will be oh, the yeah. first to tell yes, you. you Just because someone's not writing you like a check up front doesn't necessarily mean your story's good or not good. Because I always go back to the Harry Potter series. I mean, how many times was she told no? 
Mm-hmm. And right. I bet how many times do I bet you she wishes she self-published now, even though she's making yeah. a gazillion dollars, but it would have been even more than that in regards to income. So yeah, if you're out there and whatever reason you're getting rejected by publishers, really look to self-publishing. It does seem like the actual, once it's written, the actual publishing part seems to be a lot easier in the sense that we're, you know, even to the point now, correct me if I'm wrong, that if someone wanted to sell one book at a time, there are actual places you can go to get that done. You're not even like pre-purchasing 20 and hoping the 20 sell. Exactly. And I would say it's a lot more straightforward and can become easier if you do your homework. And, you know, literally anyone can write and publish a book nowadays with Amazon, Kindle Direct Publishing, that sort of thing. Um, but it behooves you to you know, work with an editor. If I was a graphic designer, so I was able to produce our book, but with someone who can get it out there. Because it, it, you know, people want to see when they spend you know, $14.95 on something, if it's a paperback, they want to see a high quality product. It, it behooves you to get those things done properly. I do want to switch gears just for a second, because I'm looking at some of the notes. And I'm not someone that's going to get into the Dodge Ford kind of battle at all. I'm a Dodge guy. But what I saw here was I thought was really interesting. You are still driving a 2006 Dodge Ram. I'm assuming this is the same truck when you took off or? Yes, it is. Okay. That's really interesting to me because I think a lot of people and you guys are living in a 2010. So obviously that's not the first rig you had um, when you guys took off. How many rigs have you guys had since you left in 2007? Exactly two. Okay. So you had the first one and then you went to the 2010. Yep. The truck is really interesting to me because even someone like me that has a 2014, you know, there's times where you just start seeing some of the new shining. You're like, ooh, I want that so bad. And even with the rigs, I I just like that. I like that the lifestyle is you've got a a 14-year-old truck and a 10-year-old camper and you guys are still rocking and rolling. I think that to me is really cool. And then it also goes back to just folks, if you're newbies and you're thinking about it, you know, asking the question, do I need a class A or do I need a a trailer or a fifth wheel? It's always going to be different, but I definitely Mm -hmm. like seeing the fact that I know you've probably taken your truck in a bunch to get fixed, get repairs, have things done, but you never lost your home in the process of that. And it's something to really think about. And that's the only like upsell I always do with people is that when it has to go into the shop, your home's not going into the shop, just your truck is. Absolutely. We're totally biased to uh, towable RVs for that reason. It's also a lot less expensive. We have one vehicle, one engine, and, and that engine, if you baby it and you are good about maintenance and don't put that kind of stuff off, it will last you forever. And our Dodge, you know, when we bought that, we, we bought it thinking that we would buy a farm or some big ag property someday and, and use it for that kind of work. But um, it's been hauling our house around ever since. And we take care of that sucker. And, and you know, it's it's like our number one priority. Our tri- our fifth wheel, uh, the only reason we, we got a newer model was because we started out in a 24 foot and um, realized after seven years <laughs> that we might need something a little bigger because I was making more jewelry and taking over the kitchen table all the time. So we upgraded to a 27 foot that was already four years old when we bought it. Um, I'm, I learned so many lessons. We learned so many lessons about buying new RVs versus old. And when we started traveling, we bought brand new. The truck was only a year old. It had 23,000 miles on it, which as you know, for a Dodge is nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the RV was, was fresh out of the factory. If I could do it over again, I would not have bought a brand new RV. Um, we picked up a book called 
total money makeover about a year into our travels that completely changed our outlook on everything about debt and saving money and buying new versus used. And now I, I just, I tell people, you know what? You don't need to buy a brand new RV. You don't even know if you're going to like this lifestyle. Get something that's used, but well-loved and, and take it from there. Don't jump into that that whole myth about buying your last RV first, I think is a complete joke. So Renee touched there briefly on probably what we is probably our number one tip. And that's doing this lifestyle debt free, debt -free. by all means possible. And we have that truck and we'll do everything we can to keep that truck because we own it outright. And nowadays, if we were to replace the truck with something comparable, we'd be talking about a mortgage on the truck. Yeah, I mean, we've ridden on our friend's brand new Dodge uh, oh, la last year, and oh my God, it was a dream. And yeah, I would love to have that truck, absolutely. I don't want that payment, and I definitely don't want that kind of maintenance bill. I mean, our, our 2006, you know, we're, we're looking at a few thousand dollars a year on maintenance, but it's, it's served us well, and that money that we spend on it is nothing compared to what a new truck would cost. So and technically speaking, if anyone out there does want to get into the Dodge versus Ford type of conversation, um, the mid 2006 truck that we have was the last 5.9 liter mm -hmm. Cummins engine series. And I have had so many diesel mechanics say, that's my favorite model. That's my favorite. Don't year. Get rid Never of get rid of that truck. You got a great check. Do whatever you can. So yeah, the transmission may become an Achilles heel someday, but I will do whatever it takes. That engine will run a million miles. And I have a tip that if you have a 2006 truck, don't get into a 2020 truck don't even let you know what that feels and looks like i got a buddy the property i'm at right now he has a brand new 5500 and he's like hey let's go for a ride i'm like no i don't want to do that i don't want to know what that's like yeah you know the grass is always green on the other side unless you don't go to the other side like you don't have to see it so i, I usually that envy exactly i usually ask for a little bit of advice if you do things differently i think you guys just nailed it perfectly with that let's get into where i do at the end of the show here some highs and lows i like to start with the lows you know, with almost 14 years on the, or 13 years on the road, there's had to have been some lows. And if you guys can, wouldn't mind sharing one with us. Oh my God. Yes. It, it is not always perfect. And we have had some really low lows and probably the lowest one was getting stuck on the Alaska highway <laughs> in the middle of the Yukon with no cell service. We couldn't even get our satellite internet connected. I mean, it, it was pretty brutal and we had put so much money and so much time into that trip and standing there by the side of the road, wondering if grizzlies were going to come out of the bushes because there were a lot of grizzlies that we saw up there. Um, it was, it was pretty terrifying, but after being on the road so long, we pretty much snapped out of it within a couple hours and we're able to laugh our way through it and laughter is one of the best forms of medicine that you can have at any given time when you're on the road um, we practice laughter yoga which is a whole thing we talk about in our blog but basically laughing on purpose even when you don't feel like it will get you through anything i do like that in this series when i've asked people to share their lows a lot of times laughter is included in sharing those lows you know they start reminiscing this story and start laughing what has been a, a big high for you guys? Oh, the high for me has been finding those best kept secrets out there in the world, getting off the interstate and discovering real, small, true communities where people 
people actually engage with each other. And the one that comes to mind is Pie Town, New Mexico. In the middle of nowhere, there's nothing but a couple shops and all they sell is pie. But to me, it's a magical place where the people will sit down and talk with you and listen to your story and share theirs and be willing to offer help. I love it. I love the idea of going off the beaten path. I think a lot of people, when they hear I'm doing this, and they ask me if I've been to this big city, this big city, this big city. I'm like, not in the rig. I've flown there and been there, but I haven't tried to visit there on the rig. I love the small little towns. If you can have a town population less than my senior graduating class at LA mm-hmm. High, I want to come hang out. And that's about 3,000. <laughs> so we had a big class. <laughs> so it's fun to see small towns like that. You, know, I you, make- so, you, you said something on a recent podcast that really stuck with me where someone had said, um, I've, you know, I've, oh, I've been to Georgia, I've been to Atlanta, and they were told, no, you haven't been to Georgia. You've been to Atlanta. And that's yep. what I'm talking about is getting out out of the cities and meeting the real genuine people out there in America because they still exist. Yeah. And I, I like even finding out about, like you were even saying, these little small secret kind of spots. I enjoy finding these little off the beaten path places and towns that a lot of people just don't know about. And I hate when I hear, well, we can't have an RV park here because we don't have a draw. And I'm like, you guys are the draw. (laughs) What are you talking about? This small little town, the fact that this is where X was made in 1800s or whatever it is, that's really unique and different. Embrace that. Be that little niche. Don't worry about being, you know, where everything has to have a skyscraper or an Ikea to somehow be interesting. (laughs) So real quick, before we shut down, I want to make sure people know where to find you. I'm going to link everything below that you guys say so people don't necessarily have to write it down this moment, but let people know where they can find you and get to know you more. And then obviously even, you know, where the book, they can pick up the book. Sure. Thanks. So uh, bemoredog.net is where we are. You know, the book's available anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore. Um, but at bemoredog.net, we're sharing kind of hidden stuff from the story, videos and photos from the travels, as well as eBooks and signed editions and that sort of thing. And our travel memoir blog, where we share all sorts of tips and upgrades on you know, solar and satellite internet, that's at liveworkdream.com. And our Tripods community is at Tripods, that's T-R-I-P like Paul, A-W-D-S, so Tripods.com. Nice, awesome. Well, Jim, Renee, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us your story. Thank you. This was fun. I appreciate it. Thank you. I told you guys there was a lot in this episode, and Jim and Renee really brought up some amazing discussion points. Hopefully, you will look them up and recommend them if you know anyone with a three-legged dog. I really do love that they were able to create such an amazing community around such a small niche. Now, before you hit stop, can you do me a favor and share this podcast? Really, on any of your favorite social medias, there should be a button right there where you can hit share and you can let people know that if they're interested in the digital nomad lifestyle, going full-time in an RVing, they should check out this podcast. And if you could share the magazine too, rootlessliving.com, let people know they can grab a free subscription and start learning so much about this lifestyle. Also, if you think you know someone that would make a good guest on this podcast, or again, that guest might even be you, please send me an email to podcast at rootlessliving.com and let's see if we can help tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.